What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'ma Tell Like a T.I.S. podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. We got a good show for you here on this weekend of April the 10th, April the 11th, the year 2021. Get into the Masters. It's Masters. We can get to that here at the top. Give you my uh, couple of opinions on some things that I've noticed as we are now a week and a few days into the brand spanking new. 2021 Major League Baseball season, and of course, uh, an NFL uh, item of uh, news occurred this past week, and former Jets quarterback formerly out of USC, Sam Donald, getting traded to the Carolina Panthers. We'll get to that a little bit later on in the program. But first things first, uh, and yeah, and if you have a problem with me talking with the golf, tough. It's one of the, it's the, it's really the only golf event that I care about, and it's the biggest one, and it's the, it's the most um, prestigious one. I think it'd be fair to say, uh, in all of golf, and that is the fact that we have the Masters. Um, 2021, you had it last November, of course, it was that in the NFL, and those were the, your, your two big sporting events in the month of November. It was the Masters, college football, and the NFL, and that, and that was it. Now, it's back in its regular, you know, it's back in the second week of April, uh, now that we've uh, gotten the pandemic organized, and it looks like that we're on our way to getting back into the swing of things as far as things you know, traditional things like the Masters and so forth being on schedule. We have it uh, at, the, at the appropriate time of the year, and that is April, which is what? It's two, excuse me, two uh, Masters tournaments within a five, six-month time period. So it's good to have it. Tournament takes place, of course, down at Augusta National in Augusta, uh, Georgia. Um, just to give you a couple of thoughts here, uh, as we at the time that this episode will be released, it will be by the end. It is the uh, the third round. I've already been completed with the fourth and final round. Uh, tomorrow with the fourth and final round tomorrow on Sunday. In first place, in case you haven't uh, been paying much attention to it, it is Hideki Matsuyama, who is in first place right now. Justin Rose was leading the tournament at the end of Friday's action, but he had an excellent day. He had an excellent uh day. He had an excellent day today. Um, he, uh, he parred the, uh, first, he parred the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth hole, um, birdied, birdied the seventh, uh, parred the eight, parred the eighth, parred the ninth hole, parred the tenth hole, birdied uh, holes 11 and 12, um, parred 13 and 14, um, got, uh, got a, um, on a fifteen, he got a uh, just to make sure I get just to make sure that I uh, on thirteen on uh, fifteen, excuse me, to make sure I get this right. He uh, like I said, holes thirteen and fourteen, he parred. Uh, he got an eagle on fifteen, birdie on sixteen and seventeen, and parred the eighteen. So he had a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, day early this afternoon in uh, round three here. Just to take a look back and how he's done. Let's go back to the first round or day one, round number one. Um, 
on um Thursday, uh, he let's let's take it through. He uh he only had he had a birdie the second hole, uh eagle the eighth, birdie the thirteenth, and a and a bogey the seventeenth, and he parred and he parred the rest, uh and he parred the rest of the holes on in the first round. And then on Friday, um he the Friday he did not have a very good he didn't not have a very good day. Shot at seventy one. I mean, I mean, decent day off, you know, decent day. He bogeyed the fifth and bogeyed the 16th. He birdied the ninth, uh, birdied the uh, 15th, got an eagle the 13th hole as well. And, of course, today, um, no bogeys in sight. Uh, had pars and then had uh, one, two, three, four, five birdies in the third round and got an eagle on hole, uh, and got an eagle on hole 15. And shot a six uh, and shot a sixty five uh, in round three. And shot a sixty five. That's a minus eleven uh, for the tournament um, right now. Uh, at the end of uh, at the end of a round number three. Um. Then of course in second place you have Alexander Susafule, whatever his name is. He's sitting right now tied for second. Uh, with the aforementioned, uh, with the aforementioned rose among others, um, at the end of uh, Saturday, just take a look at his tournament so far. Um, he uh, just take a look at his tournament so far, just to run through it right quick. First round, uh, first round, he bogeyed the f the fourth and the fifth hole, birdied the th birdied the second. This is on Thursday. Birdied the sixth. Pard hole 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Birdied the 15th, pard the 16th, um, bogeyed the 17th, and pard on the 18th hole. And then on and then on Friday, uh, birdied the 3rd, 6th, 9th, 13th, and 16th hole. Uh, bogeyed the 5th, and bogeyed the 11th. And then today, um, birdied the 2nd, 4th, 8th, 13th. Eagled the fifteenth and had a and had a bogey on the sixth and seven uh, holes respectively. So and and right now Xander is right now sit flying high. He's uh, four shots back of uh, of of Mate Sumiyama in first. He, he's at a minus. He's had a minus seven shot. A minus four today. Uh, Hideki shot a minus seven today. Um, Leishman. Um, Mark Leishman of Australia, uh, he uh, he shot a negative two today. He is at minus seven for the tournament. You take a look at his uh, scorecard right quick. Um, he had a uh, you know he he bogeyed holes nine, ten, eleven, and nine, ten, and eleven. That's three straight holes. He bogeyed on Thursday. Bogeyed the fourteenth. Got birdies on holes one, one, three, four, and six. Um, and parred the rest of and parred the rest of the way on a Thursday, Friday. He birdied his first three holes. Um, and then had a par, had even pars from holes four through ten. Bogeyed the eleventh. Birdied holes back to back twelve and thirteen. Um, parred the fourteenth. Uh, had a birdie the 15th and parred the last three holes, holes 16, 17, and 18 on us uh, on Friday. And you look here earlier today, um, he birdied on holes set on holes two, eight, 13, 15, bogeyed the 10th and bogeyed the seventh and had pars on the other remaining holes. 
as uh, his performance ended up as just at just minus two under par. Justin Rose, uh, who was flying high the first couple of days in this tournament, um, had a nice, uh, I believe he had about a three, if not a four shot lead um, uh, at the end of Friday's action. Um, take you back to Thursday, bogeyed the first hole, bogeyed the seventh, part holes two through six, had an eagle the eight, eighth hole, birdie the ninth, birdie the tenth, birdie 12, 13, 15, 16, 17, and part holes 11, 14, and 18. That was on Monday, or excuse me, on Thursday. And then on Friday, again, bogeyed his first hole coming out of the gate, birdied the, uh, birdied the second, bogeyed the uh, fourth, Pard the fifth, bogeyed holes six and seven, pard holes eight and nine, 10, 11, 12, birdied holes 13 and 14, uh, pard 15, and uh, birdied holes 16, birdie hole number 16, and pard 17 and 18. I believe it was either, I believe, I don't, I'm trying to see, get it in front of me, but I believe on yes, I believe on um, yesterday. I think yesterday he um, he only was like about a shot. I believe he was only like a shot below, if not at an even part at the end of yesterday's action. Today, Justin Rose, look at look at today's numbers. Um, he he had he started out better today. He buried holes one and two back to back, only to bogey holes four and five. Uh, had set an even par from hole six through eleven. Birdied hole number 12, uh, parred uh, holes 13, 14, 15, bogeyed the 16th, and uh, had in, finished at a par in the last two holes, 17 and 18, to set an even par at the end of today's action. So he actually might be in a little bit of a, a niche here, considering he has to compete with quite a few other guys heading into heading into tomorrow. Uh, Zalatoris, uh, who's also tied at second, he had a good day. He had a good day today as well. Uh, he birdied holes uh, holes number three, eight, ten, and fifteen. Bogeyed holes four, seven, and thirteenth. Uh, Set at par the rest of the afternoon. He finished at just minus one under par for the day. Uh, Connors, Corey Connors of Canada. He had a he shot he shot for the day a minus four. Um. And remember, no tiger for all you casual golf fans out there. No tiger, of course, with the two broken legs. And uh, but getting back to uh, Corey Connors, right quick. Um, he birdied holes uh, two and three, part holes one, one, four, eight, nine. Got a bird. Excuse me. Got an eagle on the sixth hole. Birdie on the seventh. Bogey on the fifth. Bogey on the tenth. Bogey on the fourteenth. And birdied on the sixth, on excuse me, on the fifteenth and seventeenth hold, and even par the other back nines, which I uh, did not uh, broadcast for you there. Um, Spieth sitting at an even part. He shot an even part today. He's in seventh place at a minus five. Tony Finau at a minus three. He's in ninth place. He shot a plus one earlier this afternoon. Um, let's see. Uh, Mickelson, even par for the tournament, shot a minus three today. He was very good, all things being considered. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, and then, uh, the, then let's see. Here ain't anyone else that you need to be concerned about. Patrick Reed, 
He is um he's tied for thirteenth. He's at a minus one. Shot a minus two for the afternoon today. Um, let's see. Spieth, I gave you. I gave you the leaders. Um, well, that's really where you stand. I mean, you got Hideki Matsuyama, who is sitting at a minus eleven. Who's uh who has a four stroke league over Shula Flefe. Leishman, Justin Rose, and Zala and Zala Torres, who are all tied for second place at a minus seven. Shula Sefe, like I said for the day, shot a minus four. Leishman had a minus two today. Justin Rose sat at an even par. And Zalas and Zala and Zala Torres had a shot a minus one today. And Matsuyama really had an excellent day today, shooting a minus seven at the end of round three. Um, but a good tournament. Um, you know, I kept eyes on it on um kept eyes on it uh for the majority of the afternoon on um on uh Friday. Um and that's when I saw you know, Justin Rose hit a huge lead and ended the and ended that uh, round number one. Um DeChambeau, he's the other guy I was interested in um to see how he uh how he did today. He shot a plus three, minus two for the tournament. He had a very good day. This is this is the this is the big strong, this is the big strong, uh, you know, excuse my French, big strong douchey guy who uh, you know who likes to overpower the golf course and essentially likes to get out his big driver and show off, show everyone in America how strong he is and how far and and hard he can hit the golf ball. And he, you know, and tries to essentially overpower the golf course and tries to win it that way without having, without having to, you know, chip on the fairway, you know, you know, and there's no finesse game with him with, you know, chipping, you know, chipping the ball on the fairway, hitting balls out of the bunker. You know, when he's in a rough patch, no pun intended, um, you know, he's got a ball in a rough in order for him to, you know, try to chip his way, you know, in, you know, in the, you know, play the, you know, play the small and the long game as far as golf is concerned, you know, use, use every, essentially use every club in your golf bag, you know, his, it's driver. The majority of his games driving for pull out the irons, the wedges. He only, he tries to avoid using those by trying, you know, by trying his absolute damnedest to overpower. To overpower the golf course, you take a look at how he did on, uh, how he did on uh Friday. He did very well on Friday. Um, only bogeyed the fifth, only bogeyed the fifth, fifth and tenth hole, had birdies hole six, six, eight, nine, thirteen, fifteen, seventeen, and eighteen. Part of the rest had a very good day on Friday, and then today he was just absolutely atrocious. Double bogeyed holes four and twelve, bogeyed holes five and five, seven, and sixteen, and only birdie and birdied holes eight. 8, 11, 13, and 14 as DeChambeau, uh, who, safe to say, he will be out of contention of winning this tournament. He's sitting, unless something ridiculous happens, and he finishes, uh, he's right now sitting tied for 38th place at a plus 2 with uh, sh with shot shooting a uh, plus 3, um, 3 over par um, on the afternoon earlier today on Saturday. So... That is where you stand as far as the as far as the Masters is concerned. I've been into it again. One of the more prestige, one of the more 
prestigious and one of the more well-known golf tournaments, um, you know, to the, you know, to the average sports fan, you know, it's Wimbledon and tennis and it's the masters and it's the masters in golf. Those are like the, uh, the quote unquote, as Keith Jackson used to say about the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all of their particular sport, the Wimbledon and tennis and uh, Wimbledon and tennis and then the Masters and golf. Those two events are kind of like the, are, are their respective sports, tennis and golfs, their ver their vers their own little separate uh, versions of the Rose Bowl. Those are sacred, sacred uh, events where, you know, when you win them. You know, you've done you've done something great in your in your respective sport. In this case, in golf, you win the Masters. You know, that's something that, that's something that you take with you, and something that you remember for the rest of your life. Um, with you know having the uh, having the uh, privilege, you know, to put on the green jacket when you win, it's just a lot of prestige and a lot of history and a lot of um, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of uh, a lot of uh, I can't find. I can't find the word right now. What the, a lot of um, not flamboyance, but um, God, what is the word I'm trying to use here? It'll come to me shortly. But um, it's it's a lot of um. Maybe prestige is the word. I'm not sure, but there's a lot of history when it you know a lot of history and a lot of pride that become that comes behind it when you win the Masters. So. And this is typically the one golf event, regardless of Tiger's playing or not, that I try to pay attention to, you know, for four days, because it's that, because it's got that big, you know, it's that big tournament. It's got the, it's got the Masters theme song, and you know, it's it, you know, you, you watch the event on TV, and it reminds you that spring is indeed here. It kind of like kicks off the warm weather in all the other parts of America where you've been freezing your hind parts off for the last, you know, all winter long. And then, of course, you know, Jim Nance with the hello friend, you know, hello friends, you know, and stuff like that. And and for you avid golfers out there watching it, you know, get you in, kind of get you in the mood and kind of lights a fire underneath you to pick up that golf club and start uh, hitting the links again and playing golf. But it should be a very interesting tournament. You know, there's a lot of guys chasing Hideki. Uh, the Japanese guy sitting at minus 11, but it'll be interesting to see if he will be able to hold on with a strong performance on Sunday and essentially, you know, and not a no double bogeys, no, no double bogeys, no bogeys, no a la Francesco Molinari when the year Tiger won it, hitting the ball into the water on the back nine. None of that. Um, you know, got to play his game, keep on getting birdies and, and uh, sinking your pars when you don't get them. And a couple of eagles won't hurt either. And he should be your 2021 Masters champion. You, by the way, there has not been a Japanese pl uh, player out of uh, the, the country of Japan to win the Masters yet in its history. So if he did, that would uh, be a, a very significant to his homeland uh, of Japan, but that should be very, a lot of guys chasing him, a lot of guys that are in arms, that are in arm's length of uh, getting the lead at some point in time tomorrow, but Hideki has to essentially play his game, and if he plays his game, considering that he already has a four-shot uh, four lead, either he has to epically collapse, or the other four guys I named you, four or five guys I named you, who are tied for second place, they have to really, really be on their A game to make it a competitive round down the stretch late Sunday afternoon back nine 
of the Masters at Augusta National. So that's where we begin. It's the Masters, Masters weekend, got to talk a little golf. I'll save the Sam Donald chat for later on in the program, give you my thoughts on some baseball coming up right after the break. What else do you want me to get with about with the NBA? Anthony Davis, LeBron James might be coming back shortly. You know, Chris Paul MVP talk. Uh, uh, the the Suns are one of the best teams, uh, best teams in the Western Conference. Who saw that coming? Um, but you know, there'll be plenty of time for me to break down the NBA. You know, it's here with us all the way until mid July, so don't you worry. But for this weekend and for today, why not begin with a little bit of golf? Why not? Take a break. Just getting started. Get to uh, get to Major League Baseball and three teams I uh, want to harp on in particular. Stay tuned. This is the Amitelka TIS podcast with Jai Shields. Welcome back to the I'm Tell I Can Tell You this podcast. Switching gears now to Major League Baseball. I'll give them a couple minutes here. Um, as we are a week and a few days into the brand new 2021 season. Um, and just first up before I get, because there's three teams I got to, uh, I got something to say about. Um, for one, that it's nothing like and you miss this, you know, with with the twenty twenty, with the twenty twenty that we had went through and everything else, you know, you really do appreciate, you really do appreciate having having um having fans in the stands. I mean, there was nothing there. There is nothing like putting on. There is nothing like putting on a baseball game, putting on a baseball game, putting on um. You know, putting on a baseball game, putting on, you know, putting on, or essentially putting on a baseball game, even with the Masters. But it's nothing like turning a game on and, um, you know, and seeing and seeing fans in the stands. Now, I understand that there may be, that there, you know, it's like 20, 25, 20, 25% uh, capacity and everything else, but it's still, it's, it's nothing like, Having the it's nothing like having them in the stands, nothing like it, and it's one of the more enjoyable things you know about watching baseball just this season alone, along with the fact that it actually started on time, you know, the way you know, early April compared to mid July, like it did last year. But thank God it is fans in the stands, thank God you have to look at those depressing cardboard cutouts and seeing the advertisement tarp all over the seats in the stadium i mean it's it's just so you know hearing fans cheer and hearing fans boo and hearing them uh taunt and and and, and heckle and and uh and, and and um 
and trolling. You know, it's one of those things about sports that you know you don't you don't know what you have until it's gone. Even not even going back physically, but just watching it on television, it just provides a much much more different and much more normalized environment. Watching baseball games where there's you know at least about ten thousand to fifteen thousand you know, people in the stands instead of them having to play the games in front of no one and it's, you know, you got like that that eerie feeling, eerie feeling watching the games. That's I'm number one. But it's just, and, it's, and like I also said, you know, it's also good having it back in its normal time of year, you know, early, starting the season, early April, and then just having that back to that regular 162-game uh, grind. But, you know, which is something that you didn't have. You know, it was for it was mid July. It was mid July all the way up until October. It was weird. It was crazy. It was fun to a certain degree because you know it was a point in time when my Orioles were in the thick of things. Sixty games, you never know. But um, you know, but it's it's good to have like that normalcy as far as the regular pace and ebb and flow of a uh, regular hundred and sixty two game Major League Baseball season. That's I'm number two. What I want to get into and what I want the uh, majority of this segment to be dedicated on uh, is, th- is three teams who I have uh, something to say about um, after the first season is in the books. And two of them in New York and one of them, of course, is my Baltimore Orioles. It's the Mets, the Yankees, and the Orioles. I get to the Mets first because it don't, because when it comes to the New York Mets, it does not matter who owns the team, Fred Wolpon or Steve Cohen? It does not matter if they're playing in a during a pandemic or during regular times. It does not matter who they play and who's managing the team. Lowell Mets will always be Lowell Mets. Lowell Mets never takes a day off. Once again, Jacob DeGrom. The ace, excuse me, the ace starting pitcher for your New York Metropolitans started to started earlier this afternoon on Saturday against the Miami Marlins and the Mets second game, second home game of the young 2021 season. By the way, that was a joke. Um, let me divert on that a little bit. The fact that Michael Conforto leaned into that pitch to win them to win the Mets the game. On Thursday in their home opener, leaning into it with the bases loaded, so he can get hit by a pitch, so they can so they can get a, a cheap run, a cheap run, and a cheap undeserved win. That 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 is so bush league. That is so bush league and so like just wrong and dirty and just poor gamesmanship. I I I, I it, it's it's maddening. It really, really is. Bad job on by the umpire because if you go back and you watch it, the umpire looked like he was about to signal strike three until he realized that Conforto literally stuck his elbow out in the middle of the strike zone, got hit by a... It's one of the more cheap chicken-you-know-what ways to win a baseball game. It 
it really shame on the umpires for missing it, and shame on Major League Baseball for a play like that not to be automatically reviewable, so they can you know so they can realize what the heck happened and they can change it. Now, now the home plate umpire of that game, which I believe it was Ron Culpeth, if I'm not mistaken, went back and saw it and came out and and, and said, "Hey, I made a mistake. You know that you know that I made I made the wrong decision. I should have said you know strike out. He leaned into the pitch, whatever, but." The fact that, I mean, ugh, just the whole way, the whole sequence bothered me. Good job by the people of SNY calling the Mets out on it. It's just like, it, ugh, it was it was a dirty, cheap, horse, you know what way of winning a baseball game. Conforto sticking his elbow out to get, ugh, I hate, I hate, I hate walk, I hate winning games in general via, you know, hit by pitch, walk off hit by pitches and walk off walks. The a the a that's the most boring anticlimactic way to win a baseball game, for one, and for two the fact that you lean into it. I mean, oh, it, yeah, it's just it's ugh, it's it, it's like a, it leaves an uncomfortable bad taste in your mouth or just a bad feeling about it. It's just like it just feels dirty. It just feels it, it's something about it just feels wrong. But anyway, I'm getting off the beaten path. That was Thursday. What was on what was on Saturday was the fact that DeGrom went eight innings, didn't walk a batter, gave up one run. That was a lousy uh that was a lousy home run to um that was a lousy home run to the Mar to Marlins uh player Chisholm Jr. in the sec in the second inning with uh with two out in this with two out in the second. But DeGrom went eight innings, gave up five hits, one run, that was a home run I just told you. Did not walk a batter, struck out fourteen, went eight, and the Mets lost the game. For two reasons. One, they can't get any run support. I do not have the rec I'll get it to you by the end of the program, but but the but the Mets record with Jacob DeGrom with Jacob DeGrom pitching has got to be uh one of the uh with has got to be one of the worst records of has got to be one of the one of the worst records for for a starting pitcher pitching for a single franchise as you are ever 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 going to see in your life let me see how, what his what his numbers are okay all right uh, 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 let's see if i can find um the grom okay the grom and this to be fair this is prior to today's game but still you get the idea the grom ERA, lowest ERA with two runs support or less. Minimum 50 games started. DeGrom, ERA of three. Winning percentage, the Mets, when he pitches, 146. Run support, or excuse me, percentage of runs scored two runs or less, 31.5%. Career starts with two... Uh, let me see if I can get this right. Um, he's got he's got um, he's got a hundred and eighty four career starts, and thirty one of them are winless. 
Think about that. He's got more winless starts than the late Tom Seaver had the former Met. 184, well, I guess 185 you include today, career starts, and 30 of them, or excuse me, 31 of them, that's either loss or no decision. 31 of them, or 32, I should say, he did not he did not get the win. 32 of them. And they and he started the game the other night, opening day on Thursday, uh, April the first, where he left after six innings with a two nothing lead, and the Mets ended up losing the game five to three. Now he now granted the uh, granted their manager gave him a quick hook six six innings and he only throws seventy seven uh, pitches. I mean really so. I mean, the the manager, the Mets manager learned his lesson this time because he left the men, you know, two innings longer and the Mets still couldn't get the deal done. You know, and, th- and this is a Mets lineup that, you know, all I heard about was the fact that, well, they got Lindor, they got Conforto, they got Dominic Smith and Pete Alonzo and, and, and Jonathan Villar, who they got from my Orioles. They, you know, they're going to be a pretty decent team offensively. Lindor went 0 for 3. Conforto 0 for 4. Alonzo 0 for 4 and struck out three times. Dominic Smith struck out twice, went 1 for 3. Jonathan Villar went 0 for 3 and struck out all three of his at-bats as well. And the only hits they got was Brandon Nemo, Dominic Smith, and DeGrom himself got hits. Three hits in the game for the New York Mets. Three. Three. And to make matters worse, and why this guy is still on the team, when I'm hearing when the majority of the offseason, you know, and all through spring training, all I heard was the fact that the Mets are are going to be right there in the thick of things of the NL East and look out and see if the Mets don't make a run for a World Series. Well, Mets fans, let me ask you a question. And and but and for the record, Mickey Calloway is gone, and what's his face, Brody Brand, Brody Van Wagenen, Van Wagenen is out the door too. Let me ask y'all a question. Why is Edwin Diaz on the team? Why is he on the team? Why is he in the bullpen? Why is he an option? For their uh, manager, I believe his name is Luis Rojas, I believe. Why is he an option in the bullpen for their manager to go to in, in tight, late-game situations? Can can someone explain that to me, please? They can't hit, per usual, with the Mets. Can't hit, and, and when, when DeGrom is pitching, they especially don't hit. So and they put Degrom between a rock and a hard place to the point where if Degrom makes one or two or maybe even three mistakes out of a seven or an or an eight inning masterpiece, odds are nine times out of ten the Mets are going to lose the game because they can't score any runs. But then Diaz comes in, pitches two thirds of an inning, gives up three hits. Two runs, both of them earned, walks a batter. And gave up 
and get came in and gave up the runs in in the uh, in the ninth inning, the two runs in the ninth inning. Mets had Mets did not have a run, or excuse me, yeah they did not have a run down one nothing. The Grom pitch is a masterpiece for Ed Luz, not Ed Win, not Ed Win. Ed lose Diaz to come into the game, give up three hits, two runs, walks the batter, and a 3 nothing game for the Mets. When the Grom is pitching especially, might as well be 10 nothing because the game's out of reach. Now, I don't know what the issue is. It's not bitterly cold like it typically is in the mid-Atlantic northeastern part of the United States in early slash mid-April. It's been quite comfortable the last couple of days. Temperatures in the in the uh, mid-high 60s, low 70s. So you can't blame the cold as an excuse. What is it? They got Lindor there. Pete Alonso supposedly is one of the best uh, hitting first basemen in all of baseball. And the ground was pitching and he still can't hit. Now, to be fair, I did pick, I think I picked the, the, the I didn't pick the Mets to win the division, but I picked them to win 90-something games and to make the playoffs as a wild card team to lose to the Padres. But they can't win 90-something games hitting like this. When, when, when get their guys like Lindor and their guys in Lindor and Alonzo combined for 0 for 7 and four strikeouts you can't win 90 something games and, and 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 try to make the playoffs let alone win a division when your best starter is on the mound day in and every fifth day in and every fifth day out and you, and you can't muster up any hits and any run support for him can't do it and 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 then and then the manager runs to Edwin Diaz, who does what he does best, and that's vomit all over himself, and makes them and makes matters and makes matters ten times worse than what they already were to begin with. The New York Mets are in my crosshairs. They're team number one. Team number two is their uh, New York City rival out of. The Bronx Borough of New York and the New York Yankees. I, I, I when it comes to the Yankees, boy, I, I, I swear. I mean, it, it feels like to me, it feels like to me personally, the Yankees more times than not are their own worst enemy. They got go back on Friday in the Rays home opener. They got absolutely smacked. Lost, lost by a score of ten to five. Corey Kluber was absolutely horrendous. Back page. I actually went to the store earlier today and got the uh, and got the Saturday New York Post. Back page of New York on the of New York Post says, "Clueless with K L U with Kluber's name, K L U Clueless." Corey battered as Rays continue mastery of Yanks. With a picture of Corey Kluber uh, handing the ball off to uh, Aaron uh, Aaron Boone, Aaron Boone his manager, after giving up five hits, f- 
five runs in standby and two and a third innings pitched. Walk two, struck out three. And then the bullpen comes in and Nelson gives up four runs. Lutledge gives up a run. And uh and and uh and Nelson, Lutledge, and Sessa give up eight runs combined the rest of the rest of the game going on forward. And Nelson comes in and also walks a batter. So and so and and then of course and then of course with Tampa and in Tampa, you know, we're done it Adame's with the same thing, I'm running off a of Lutledge and it's just I mean, just pathetic performance. And in the and the New York Yankees and that and that was and that was on uh and that was on Friday. And then and then they come today and like the Mets, Yankees can't get a hit either. They got they had Herman pitching. He went four innings, couldn't make it through five. Went four innings, gave up eight hits, four runs, and uh, and and walked the batter. Bullpen bullpen was bullpen didn't give up any runs the rest of the way, but starting pitching did him in from the get go. Gave up runs in the first, second, and third inning. Run in the first, two runs in the second, run in the third. And the Yankees bats, quiet. LeMayhew, eh, a decent one for three with a walk. Aaron Judge was finally in the lineup after being out for two straight games. Get to him in a minute. One for four. Aaron Hicks, one for three, not good enough. Stanton, 0 for four, struck out twice. What else is new? Glaber Torres, 0 for four. What else is new? Who stinks? That, again, get to the Torres in a minute. Um and Gary Sanchez one for three, really not that good enough. Jay Bruce hitting ninth, zero for three, struck out twice, horrendous. So I I understand I understand I understand baseball season is this season with the four hundred sixty two. I understand it is a marathon, not a sprint. I get that and I understand all that. But and I, and I understand we're only a week into the season and you know it's hard to go crazy and to quote unquote overreact to one week through the season but this is the Yankees body of work through one through one week and right now they are sitting right now on the ALE standings at 3 and 5 two games under 500 two games back of the division leading Red Sox who would have thunk that after this past week and losing to my Orioles Not, and they haven't lost the game since they're currently running a five game winning streak haven't beat my Orioles on Saturday night get to them in a minute and they've lost and the Yankees have lost three games in a row dating back to Wednesday night when they lost to my Orioles in extra innings thanks to uh thanks to Getting thrown out at the thanks to getting thrown out at the plate to end the game by by I think it was Santander in right field and then on top of it Glaber Torres who isn't who isn't exactly Derek Jeter at shortstop letting the letting the ball get right through his legs that ended up costing the Yankees against my Orioles on Wednesday, Wednesday night and and to make it nine times worse Aaron Judge who went absolutely ballistic ballistic against against my Orioles on in the first two nights of their of their uh, first series of the year Aaron Judge who went 3 for 5 on Tuesday night 3 for 5 and homered in the 8th inning off of Wade LeBlanc who stinks went 3 for 5 on Tuesday night with four RBIs and a home run and then the night before on Monday 
All right. On Monday, went two for three with a walk and a home run in that game in the fourth inning. So if you do the math, that's two for three on Monday and three for five on Tuesday. Two for three, three for five. That is five, do the math, two for three, two for three, three for five. That is five and seven. Two for th let me write this down and make sure I get this right because Lord knows I'm not a mathematician. Let me, let me write this down. Let me write this down. Okay. Two for three and get, and I know y'all are yelling at me, but who cares? Two for three and three, four, five. That is five. He was five for his last eight. Do the math. Batting average, you type that in your handy-dandy calculator. He was 625 in the two games against my Orioles. Six for 25. Or excuse me. He was five for eight, 625 batting average in the first two games against the Orioles. And... On Wednesday afternoon, about maybe I want to say four or five o'clock, whatever it was, came out that Aaron Judge wasn't wasn't in the lineup. Well, he's got side soreness. Really? You at that point in time, they weren't even a week into the season, and Aaron Judge, who is going to want a king's ransom and no hometown discount from the from the Bronx Bombers who's going to who's going to look for in due time a king's ransom with no hometown discount from the Yankees in a few years when he hits free agency and this is a guy who was raking against my Orioles again 2 for 3 in game 1 with a home run 3 for 5 in game 2 with a home run 5 for 8 625 batting average in the two games. And he sits out on Wednesday, which is one of the, which I think is one of the big reasons why the Yankees lost that game, among other things. Sat out Wednesday because his side was sore. Really? Lou Gehrig had went on a ridiculous streak. To the point where it damaged his body so bad that he got a disease that killed him. Okay? I mean, what happened to the art of playing the full 162-game season? I mean, wouldn't you think in a year where we're still in the pandemic, but in a year where you had no fans at the ballparks, you say to yourself, geez. You know, if, if this pandemic has taught me anything, what we've gone on as a society has taught me anything is I got to learn how to appreciate stuff, appreciate the smaller and the finer things in life and not take, you know, and not take my career and take what I do and take playing the game of baseball and playing it in front of, you know, a live audience who pays, who's paying good money to see me play, not to take that for granted. And Aaron Boone was asked it a few days ago, and he essentially was like, 
Aaron Judge says he can't play, what am I going to do? I mean, he tried to be nice about it, but Aaron, you could tell Aaron Boone was a little annoyed. But he, he's Aaron Boone make, he's Aaron Boone making chump change. He has no power. But Aaron Judge, not a full week into the season yet at that point in time. And, 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 and you're taking days off because your side is sore? It's a 162-game season that lasts from April to May. You want to include spring training? Fit or April to May. From April to October. You want to include spring training? That's mid-February to October. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight months. That's eight months if you include spring training. Six regular season and postseason. And it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, you never heard of stuff like that back, you know, you know, when my father was growing up and and back in the day, never heard of that. You taking days off because you, if you, I mean, it's, I mean, it's like it's like the point, in, it's like, it's to the point with Judge where. If he wakes up from a night of sleeping with a sore neck because he, he slept the wrong way, his, you know, his, his head was tilted weird when he went to sleep, he's going to have to put him on the 15-day on the IL list. A sore side? Really? Given the fact that all that we've been through as a society, you'd think that you'd appreciate playing the game in front of people a little bit more? Also, considering the fact that you're not even a at the at the point in time when he was taken out of the lineup, that you weren't a full week into the new season yet. Heck, you haven't even you hadn't even had a road trip at that point in time. You didn't play all. You, you didn't have to worry about flying. You didn't have to worry about the uncomfortable hotel beds. You were you hadn't tra- you haven't left the Bronx. You haven't left the Bronx yet since you've been back from Tampa. Leaving spring training, and at that point in time, you weren't even a full week into the season yet. A second time off because of because of side soreness. Come on, Aaron, man up and toughen up. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Let's go. It's baseball, 162, six months. Let's go. You're a grown man, and you want big boy money, and you're gonna have your hand out, want wanting wanting all that in a bag of chips. Probably nearly half a billion dollars when your time comes. You you got you got you got to earn it. You can't sit up here and expect teams to pay you big time money and you don't show up for work and you don't play. Doesn't work like that. It's unrealistic. Not a week into the season and he's belly aching Aaron Aaron Boone about side soreness. Now he's back into the lineup today, but still, come on, show some guts, show some toughness, grow up. Team number two, team number three, and lastly, it's my Baltimore Orioles. <sighs> try not to get too high. Try not to get too low. It was ecstatic when they swept the Red Sox this past weekend. Ran to a buzzsaw with the Yankees. First two days. One on Wednesday was great. Thursday, Harvey can't get out of the fifth inning. Matt Harvey, just ugh, terrible. Tonight, on Saturday, they hit, they produced. Now Mancini swinging at the first pitch with the bases. I did not realize how much, how that essentially was the, was the, 
was uh, was the was the stake through the hearts of their offense and the stake through the and the stake through their chance of winning that game when they had a chance to bust the game wide open when they had Mancini up with the bases loaded and he swings first pitch and grounds out the Devers. So I did not realize at that point in time how how costly that was in the grand scheme of things of the game. They're four and four. They all they've played throughout their first eight games is divisional opponents: Red Sox in Fenway, Yankees in the Bronx, and now of course Boston to open things up at Cannon Yards. They play the Seattle Mariners, uh, their first uh, their first time playing the Mariners since 2019, and their first out of division uh, matchup uh, of the season at the beginning of the work week. But you know. You go back and you look, the hometown guy, Zimmerman, six innings, seven hits, which you don't like. He gave up three. Um, gave up three. He made, you know, he made a couple of mistakes, which was unfortunate, but he, he, he wasn't terrible. You know, unlike Harvey, he gets past the fifth inning and uh, struck, out, struck out four guys, gave up a home run, gave up three. Okay. I give him the benefit of the doubt. He had an okay performance. Six innings, okay, fine, and then and I and I tell you something right now, and this is gonna have to, and this is something I'm gonna have to get used to, along with many uh, other, um, I guess you say, young Orioles fans. One of the advantages in the quote-unquote glory days, if that's what you want to call them, of the mid 2010s, is the fact that you could always count on the Orioles. Having a solid bullpen from the sixth, seventh inning later. And you knew that you had confidence that Buck was going to be able to pull those strings. And whether it was Givens, Givens, Brock, O'Day, Britton, didn't make any difference. And he knew how to pull the strings properly to make sure he got those outs. And if the Orioles were down by a run or two, you knew that they were going to keep the game close and that more times than not, they weren't going to score any other runs, any more runs the rest of the game. They were going to keep the game close and within and within reach for their offense to do something in the later innings of the game. You cannot say the same thing about the Orioles' bullpen under Brandon Hyde's watch and with essentially every either known or well liked guy that I adored in those during those mid two thousand ten years, you cannot say the same about this bullpen. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. no you, 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 you can't say it. You can't. You cannot say it under any circumstances. You can't say it. And it's three years in, and I'm. And I've said, and I've kind of made a similar point with Zach Taylor with the Bengals. But it's at a certain point with Brandon Hyde that it's put up a shut up time. I did not I did not realize this. But why in the and it's a good job by my father who brought attention to this watching the game. We watched the game with me earlier tonight. Why in the world did did Hyde take out Tanner Scott? Why in the world did he take him out? He went an inning pitched unhittable, did not give up a hit, did not give up a run, 
did not walk anybody. One inning. You had a day off yesterday. You, you did not play a game Friday. I can go back and look. I do, I do not think that Tanner Scott pitched on Thursday. He did not. So he did not pitch Thursday. Had a day off Friday. One inning in. Tightly contested ball game. Knowing that your bullpen has a hot pile of garbage and you take him out after one inning of work to run to <clears throat> to run to Valdez and Tate who stink. Valdez goes an inning goes an inning, gives up two hits, and go gives up two hits in a run. And then Tate comes to blow to blow the save in the ninth inning to to allow Boston to tie the game up in the ninth inning. Why did why did he take Tanner Scott out before uh, prior to the ninth inning, please? What what is 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 Valdez uh, Zach Britton all of a sudden? I must have missed it. And then he and he runs to Tate, and he runs to Tate after that, who gets who gets one out, who gets one out, walks two batters and gives up a run. Are you are you kidding me? Can can Brandon again? He and Taylor and my crosshairs in 2021. But it's, I mean, Hyde's getting it now. Put up a shut up time, Hyde. Let's go. Don't get, I'm sick of the excuses with the, with the rebuild and then this, that, and the other. And we got young talent, this, young talent, that. Enough of that. Enough. To care. I, I don't care if, if I, I could care less if they have BJ Surhoff, Chris Hoyles, um, Mike Mussina pitching with with Eddie Murphy the DH, uh, Brooks Robinson at third, uh, Cal Ripken at shortstop, Roberto Alomar at second base, Aubrey Huff at first, Adam Jones in center field, left field Corey Patterson, right field Nick Markakis with Dave Trembley as the manager. Get it done. Get it done. I understand if you lose games because your opponent, straight up and down on paper, is better than you. I get that. I understand that. I get that. What I can't accept is when you beat yourself. Is when you beat yourself. You, you run to your god-awful bullpen to take out Tanner Scott after one singular inning of immaculate baseball after you had a day off Friday and he didn't pitch on Thursday against Boston on Thursday afternoon. Really? Really? This is what I'm going to do now? Really? You got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. I mean, you guys don't know how to handle a rundown properly, allow the run to score in the first inning because you don't know how to handle the, the, the rundown scenario properly. Mount Castle in left field the other night on Wednesday. Misplays a fly ball, allows the Yankees to score a crucial run in that game, a game that shouldn't have went into extras. I can't take it when you beat yourself. When when it's just when it's the basic fundamentals that you find somehow find a way to screw up. That's where I draw the line. Your team beats you because they're just better overall. Alright, whatever. Re, rebuilding, all right, fine, whatever. You beat yourself with bonehead, egregious mistakes that 
many little leaguers know not to make, that's where I get annoyed and that's where I draw the line. The good teams that you're playing and the competitive teams that you're playing don't need any more help trying to win baseball games. They got enough. Trust me. Learn how to play fly balls. Learn how to manage on how to hold runners when there's when you when when there when your opponent gets into a rundown with two runners on base. Learn how to track a fly ball to left field in Yankee Stadium, Ryan Mountcastle. Learn how to catch the ball when the when the relievers don't know how to throw strikes. Pedro Severino, or should I say, Gary Sanchez. Learn not to essentially go 0 for 20 in your first at-bats as an Oriole, uh, Freddie Galvis. And maybe one other thing, maybe let's, let's, let's stop this. Let's, let's, let's try to cut this trend right here and nip it in the bud real quick and real quick, fast and in a hurry, fellas. Can we stop through eight games of a young season? Already have 100 team strikeouts through a week and change in eight games of a very long Major League Baseball season. Can we not do that? Eight games, 100 strikeouts as a team. Can we make? Can we take a couple pitches and make a pitcher work their pitch count, please? Can we take a couple pitches and 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 maybe walk one time or another once in a while? Would it hurt? Would it hurt? And oh, by the way, for those of you scoring at home, they have struck out a hundred times through eight games without repeat, without the dead weight. Worth $161 million, that is Chris Davis. A hundred strikeouts through eight games without Chris Davis in the lineup. Without him in the lineup. Through eight games. And only have played two teams. So in eight games against two opponents... They've somehow managed to strike out as a team collectively a hundred times through eight games out of 162 against two, two opponents. Really? And it got Hyde running to his god-awful bullpen that can't hold a lead if the fate of the universe depended on it. Put up a shut-up time for Brandon Hyde. I'm telling you that right now. I, I, come on. I, it's, 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 there's a certain point in time, you know, in a rebuild and with a new manager that I need to start seeing some results. And, and, and you can start, and you can start, and this is something that, that the Bucks show off their managed teams never have a problem of. It's basic, simple, on-field fundamentals. If you master the fundamentals, at least with that building block, the rest, for the most part, should be gravy. But when you beat yourself, not know how to play fly balls off the warning track, Mullins, Mullins thought of, uh, earlier on on Saturday night 
Mullins read a fly ball that went back that went back center field. I forget what inning it was and who hit it, but and went back to went back onto a warning track in center field. Thought the ball left. Thought thought it was a home run. Tried to scale the fence to see where the ball landed, and the ball hit off the wall and nearly hit him smack in the face. And it, and it was and it ended up being a double for Boston. Thought the ball was gone. Tried to scale the fence to try to see where the ball landed. The ball hit off the wall and nearly got him right in the kisser. And it ended up being a double for Boston. Mountcastle not knowing how to play fly balls off the warning track in, uh, in Yankee Stadium. They, they don't know how to hold the second runner when they have run, when their opponent gets into rundowns with, run, with, uh, with two runners on base. And we can't catch a ball that's about a foot and a half, two feet out. About uh, that's about a foot and a half, two feet out outside the strike zone. And we, and we let it go and essentially open up the floodgates. And extra innings against the Red Sox on Saturday night. Get it together, guys. Get it together. Get it together. Young season. I get that. What police? Get it together. There's nothing that chaps my hind parts more, and chaps Orioles fans' hind parts more, and sends our blood and gets our blood boiling, than when you beat yourselves. Because when there are chances of and opportunities there for you all to win baseball games, and you simply squander them because you get in your own way, because you're not fundamentally sound or you're not paying attention or whatever it might be. When you beat yourself, that's what really, really, really pisses us fans off. It's when you beat yourself. And the Mets can't hit for DeGrom and Stanton, or not Stanton, Judge, God forbid he he slips and falls on his on his behind when he gets out of the shower. Because he has to go on the two, because he has to go on a two-day IL list with a with a with a sore glutamus maximus. That's neither here nor there. Brothers taking a piss in the background. We'll let him finish during the break. Back after this. Like the TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the one uh, key NFL uh, news item of note, and that is the fact that um, that is the fact that a uh, former New York Jets quarterback Sam Darnold um, announced that he uh, or not he announced, but uh, news broke that he uh, that he uh, traded to. Uh, I believe this news broke either Monday. I think it was Monday. News broke that he was traded to the Carolina Panthers for three draft picks, 
um, those draft picks are if you uh, are so inclined. Uh, the uh, six-rounder in this year's draft, um, the second-rounder, and then the other two picks are a second-rounder and a fourth-rounder, excuse me, in the 2022 NFL draft. Just take a look at Sam Darnold's numbers right quick, if we may. Sam Darnold as a starter with the new as a starter with the New York Jets. Um, let's go in order. Career wise, thirteen to twenty five. That's his win loss record. Uh, started thirty eight games for the Jets. Had a career completion percentage of fifty nine point eight percent, which is not again not uh, not great. Threw for eighty thousand over eight thousand yards, eight eight thousand ninety seven passing yards, forty five touchdowns, thirty nine uh, interceptions. Had a uh, uh, an average, uh, got sacked 98 times as well. Um, of course, you know, and people are saying and making the assumption, hey, you know, Ryan Tannehill, we all see how much Ryan Tannehill blossomed when he got out of the, uh, got out of the uh, wet blanket that was uh, Adam Gase when he was his head coach and, and offensive Slash quarterback guru down in Miami, you know, maybe Sam, maybe the same thing will happen to Sam Darnold, who was highly praised upon and and was a highly acclaimed quarterback coming out of USC heading into the uh, 2018 draft. And people uh, and a lot of people are saying that, you know, it might be the same situation when he gets out of and, and Grand Adam Gates is fired. But, you know, you, you wonder that, you know, maybe it's time for a new change of scenery as well. Maybe, you know, he and Salah and their new offensive regime with, you know, the, uh, Salah's new offensive regime might not, you know, you never know. Plus, the Jets have a tie, plus have, the Jets have a high pick in the draft. Can't afford, you know, next year's quarterback class uh, is rumored to be not that all that great and all that uh, intriguing. So, so from the Jets' standpoint, they look they look at this uh, they look at this moment in time as as a period where they need to strike while the iron is hot. Um, you know, especially with the top five pick in the draft, you know, you never know. And and again, the quarterbacks and coming that's projected to come out of next yeah, after the two thousand twenty one season are are projected to be not as great. Um, again, sort of got strike where the iron is hot. Granted, no Adam Gase is there, and, and Gase's regime is totally out of the picture now uh, in New Jersey. But you know, but yeah, they, they, I think the Jets and 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 Donald will both benefit from the fact of having a new change of scenery. You don't want to have the old quarterback, you know, with the new head coach because you know that may be a little dicey. I would imagine that uh, that Salah wants his own guy for him to work with from scratch in New York, and then I know Darnold wants a fresh start after dealing uh, with the hell that is uh, having Adam Gase as your uh, head coach in the National Football League. Um, so he, you know, in last year played twelve. Last year played twelve games, had a fifty nine. Uh, completion percentage three for two thousand two hundred eight passing yards, nine touchdowns, eleven interceptions, um, which, which is uh, which is far which is far from great and far from you know what you want your quarterback QBR for the Skip Baylesses of the world is a forty again not not uh fan not fantastic, um and then of course so he just had a rough rough twenty twenty campaign where the Jets one of the worst teams in all of football. Um, Sam Donald again will appreciate. I would imagine he would appreciate. It. it was a video on social media earlier this last week that he's all 
Uh, he's all giddy, the fact that it changes scenery, and he's going to be a part of the Carolina Panthers organization who, like the Jets, are rebuilding themselves. Um, they had Teddy Bridgewater in the mix as well. Teddy Bridgewater, who was a good stopgap uh, quarterback, um, you know, but the but the and you can imagine and who can blame them that the get the uh, Panthers who have a who have a pretty decent pick in the draft, but they're not I do but they're not top five because they were fairly competitive and fairly decent in 2020. They do not have a top five pick in this year's draft. So you know, and they you know, and they kind of see the writing on the wall with the quarterbacks coming in heading into the 2022 draft. So they figure. Hey, Darnold, young young quarterback, young young quarterback, you know, only played three. He's only three seasons in. If Tannehill can flourish, you know, coming out of uh, you know, coming uh, out of uh, Gase's uh, dominance, then maybe Darnold can too. Outside of Brady, which is going to have to deal with again, a la his eighteen and nineteen seasons with the Jets, he's going to have to deal with Brady twice a year again. But um, but other than that, the, but other than that, the division is not going to be outside of the Buccaneers. The division is going to be that you know that brutal. Breeze is retired, and you will imagine the Saints will take a step back. Falcons again, the the Falcons, and um, even though Dan Quinn is gone, you cannot imagine that the Falcons are going to do anything with with uh, with Matt Ryan at with Matt Ryan at quarterback, and I really don't know their direction as far as the Atlanta Falcons is concerned for their uh for their upcoming future. And then of course you look at the um and of course you look at um no that's it. The Bucks the Bucks will destroy them. Um the Saints will take a step back and won't be nearly as good with Breeze. And of course the Falcons, you know, they, you know, they're they're still dealing with the aftermath of twenty eight to three. So, and again, it's not like that the Carolina Panthers organization's goal is to make the playoffs in 2021. Their goal is essentially to be as competitive as best they can, see where they are with Darnold, hope Darnold and the coaching staff down in Carolina clicks, and Sam Darnold essentially reestablishes himself as a top 15 quarterback in the National Football League and puts together a pretty decent season for the Carolina Panthers where they play some competitive and decent football and and uh, maybe uh, and maybe uh, sp split a season series with the Buccaneers, you know, at one at one time or another in the foreseeable future. But the Jets, uh, the Jets get rid of Darnold. Darnold gets a new change of scenery. Jets stock up on draft picks. Carolina might have the might have their uh, new franchise quarterback remains to be seen. And, you know, I would imagine I'd be interesting to see what they do with Bridgewater, whether they trade him or. Or outright cut them and see what and see where that goes. Where they have Bridgewater start the twenty twenty one season it's just to allow Donald to get some time to get his feet wet, and then allow Donald to essentially and then essentially have Bridgewater quote unquote hand the team over Donald. But that remains uh, to be seen. As far as the Jets are are concerned, as far as the quarterback, either Mac Jones or Zach Wilson, the Alabama quarterback or the quarterback out of BYU, is the you know the Jets have pretty much tipped their hand at the at the fact that they that they're going to get a quarterback. Not going to be Trevor Lawrence, courtesy of uh, Greg Williams, but um and that debacle um and that debacle against the Raiders in uh, December. But they, it looks like that the Jets are going to walk out of 
this 2021 uh, draft by the end of the by the end of the uh, month of April, early May, with their new uh, with the new quarterback for 2021 and beyond. But uh, that's uh, where you stand as far as the Sam Donald trade is concerned. Gave you a couple thoughts on the Masters heading into the final round on Sunday and gave you a couple minutes on the Yankees, Mets, and my Baltimore Orioles a week into the season. Basic routine show, but hey, it's par for the course sometimes in this uh, in this business. You've been listening to another episode of the Amatelic podcast. If you like what you heard and new to the program, please subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it T-I-S. It's your boy Josh Shields. Talk to you Wednesday, I promise you. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See ya.